Weekly Hugh Demon. Episode 50. Tell me about it. They think he's a righteous dude. That's right, episode 50. Pretty excited to be here. Thanks to everyone who came out to the Monkey Bar in Midtown. Had a great time. Yeah, of course, yeah, we didn't really have a big celebration at the Monkey Bar. I'm just making that up in my own fevered mind. Although I do hope to go back to New York City in, in the spring. I absolutely love Manhattan. I'm like a New Yorkophile. Where you know, everything doing with New York, I just love it. Although I pretty much hate all the sports teams, <laughs> but I just really like Manhattan, and I want to take uh, Max and Tess back. It's been so long since we've been there that they don't remember our trip from like eight years ago. So I said, okay, we'll go back maybe on spring break and check it out. And I mean, we'll be staying near the Monkey Bar. I. I that's a great, good area. It's pretty uh, economical. It is near St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's in Midtown. We'll, we'll see if we get there next spring. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so Halloween. Some people have asked me, well, you're a pretty committed Catholic. Do you, you actually celebrate Halloween and all that darkness? And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not a nerd. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love Halloween. I I have railed in my writings against people who do not hand out candy in Halloween. Now, if you're some fundamentalist Christian conscientious objector, <laughs> okay, I get it. I, you know, again, I'm not going to tell you how you should feel about Halloween. If you think it's this evil and you can't celebrate it, then okay, that's fine. But if you're just not handing out treats because you don't want to, I, I'm just shocked. And I've often been appalled at the parents who... Both want to like have the experience taking the kids out trick or treating, so they don't hand out treats at all. They take their kids out trick or treating, but they don't reciprocate and hand out treats. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, I mean, you can't do that. I, it's it's like a community thing." And <laughs> so Marina always had a system. She stayed home. I took the kids out. <laughs> it was that simple. And I think two years ago snapped like a twenty-five year tradition. I'd been doing it for twenty-five years. And uh, I, was, I was kind of sad when it was over, but part of me was like, ah, just as well. I was getting tired of going out. The only time I really liked it, well, I actually liked it all the time with the kids. The only time I really liked it, though, was like when it was like a Thursday or Friday or Saturday night, and I could be drinking while I was walking around doing it. I mean, I know I can drink on Monday and Tuesday as well, but I need to get up in the morning and get to work, and it just wasn't, wasn't quite the same thing. And I guess I should pull it in a little bit. When I, when I say I was a, I'm appalled when, like, both parents go out and they don't reciprocate, I, I shouldn't be so judgmental, for lack of a better term. I mean, objectively speaking, it's just like, WTF, don't you see how you're taking from other people and not giving back? And I get it, it's just candy. In today's world, candy is so cheap, it's not that big of a deal. But the kids get a kick out of seeing different lights on. Yeah, they see the lights on the house, they run up there, they get their four cents worth of candy, and they run back. And if you're not doing that, reciprocating, or some people, they say, well, my mom comes and sits at the house and hands out candy while I take, you know, my wife and I take our kids out trick-or-treating. Well, that's cool. I I, I couldn't care less. 
What I hate, though, is when I'm walking around, or used to when I wore a younger man's clothes, <laughs> when I'm walking around on Halloween, I gotta walk a block or two because so few people have their lights on. It's just, they like said, it just kind of, kind of galls me. Again, if you're a Christian fundamentalist, a conscientious objector, I get that. You talk like a fag, and your shit's all retarded. But man, if you were out trick-or-treating when you were a kid, and now you're an adult, and you're not putting that light on, handing out treats. You talk like a fag, and your shit's all retarded. There's, there's something, there's, there's a disconnect there. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. And if you have your kids out trick-or-treating and you're not reciprocating, I think there's another disconnect there. And again, I don't know what it is. I don't want to judge anyone because I haven't walked a mile in their shoes. You talk like a fag and your shit's all retarded. I've barely walked a mile in my own shoes when it comes to introspection and whatnot. But yeah, seriously, ask yourself, man, why aren't I reciprocating? And if you're out in the country, by the way, I get that too. Like you're out in the country, no one's going to come to your house, so come into town and trick-or-treat. And both of you can come because no one's going to go to your house, period. Anyway, I do celebrate Halloween. And I'm going to defend it. I'm going to defend it right here. And it's really going to come down to one of my favorite quotes from, from a political philosopher, who was actually a statesman, Edmund Burke. Russell Kirk had called Edmund Burke like the father of modern conservatism. His mother was Catholic. He was born in Ireland. He spent a lot of time in the highly Catholic country of Cork because he had bad health when he was a kid, so he had to go stay with his Catholic relatives in Cork where the, the air was considered better for him. So he became, he was very sympathetic to the Catholic all his life. I think he was often rumored, rumored to be Catholic, and this is 18th century England where <laughs> rumored to be Catholic would be, you know, being rumored to be a pedophile <laughs> in the, in the statesman circles. But anyway, he's a, a, a very powerful thinker. Thomas Sowell, you know, the, the great economist, social scientist, whatever you want to call him, S-O-W-E-L-L, Thomas Sowell. He wrote a splendid little book called The Conflict of Visions. And he, in that book, he contrasts like the constrained version versus the unconstrained version. I can't really get into it here. But suffice it to say, Edmund Burke plays a huge role in the constrained version of reality. And he must... Yeah, you know, Sol, he must cite Burke, I don't know, 20 times. I actually looked it up before I did this podcast and pulled that book off the shelf and looked at the index. And yeah, it's just riddled with Edmund Burke references. <laughs> Although kind of funny. The index says, uh, Edwin Burke. E-D-W-I-N. Ed- Edwin Burke. <laughs> Instead of Edmund Burke. Anyway, Edmund, one of his most famous quotes is, those who do not hate where they ought to hate cannot love where they ought to love. That's where I stand on Halloween. Those who do not hate where they ought to hate cannot love where they ought to love. And that, by the way, is not an exact quote. I didn't I didn't pull it off the shelf. Well, in order to hate something, you need to recognize it first. So if you don't recognize the dark side of things, whatever those things are, if you don't recognize those things to begin with, how are you going to hate them? And if you can't bring yourself to hate those things because you don't, you don't recognize them, how are you going to love where you're supposed to love? So recognition of the dark is also acknowledgement of the light. This is kind of the whole binary thing. You know, by juxtaposing light and darkness, good and bad, you better highlight the good, highlight the, highlight the light, <laughs> so to speak. So that's one reason 
why I, I, I celebrate Halloween and like the dark force is coming out. And I think there's actually a lot more to the, that celebration of Halloween. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on a ramble here a little bit at ya. I think there's some metaphysical truths at stake. Keep in mind the postmodernist criticism of, of modern thought in particular, but just thought in general. It's, it's logocentrism. That's a derogatory term where they say you think words refer to external reality. And as shown through de Saussure and the structuralists, as further elaborated upon by Derrida and other postmodernists, words just refer to each other. They don't refer to an outside reality. And I think they pretty much proved their point. And there might be some Christians out there, <laughs> metaphysicians who hate me for saying that, but I don't think it can be denied that words only have their meaning in reference to other words. They don't point necessarily to an external reality. And then Derrida and others took that to say, well, because words don't refer to an external reality, there is no external reality. And as one former postmodernist I read pointed out, he goes, he said, that, that's like a, that's a hell of a sleight of hand. He called it a sleight of hand. He goes, that, that's not the same thing. To say that words don't refer to external reality doesn't mean there is no external reality. And that's like the crux of the postmodernist creed. They make that leap of faith. We're all criticized for the, <laughs> the leap of faith, but they make one there. But more to the point here on Halloween, what is this external reality? Well, it can mean a lot of things, but in particular, it means the metaphysical reality. That words actually refer to dark forces, to good forces, to angels, to God, to the soul, things like that. External reality means external to space and time. And this, I think Halloween, kind of is a shot at Postmodernism. And let's face it, we live in a postmodern world where metaphysics has been flattened out, denied, not recognized, doesn't play a part in the average person's mental landscape, and I think it's causing psychoses and other sort of problems. Those problems are everything are way beyond the scope of this of this podcast, obviously. But there is definitely something to be said, or in my opinion, everything to be said, for the fact that there is an external reality that we need to conform ourselves to an external reality that in turn shapes us. Halloween, by recognizing the dark metaphysical forces, things are forced, are, are, are fashioned by the devil himself, or recognizing the devil, it's devil's night. That's, those are metaphysical realities. Those are things that slash against this bland, lack of imagination, postmodernist type society we live in today. So I think those things they celebrate, they bring it out. And I think that's a really good thing. By getting us thinking about the dark metaphysical realities, we start wondering about the good metaphysical realities. And that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, I'd even make a libertarian argument <laughs> for Halloween. And I don't think this is a stretch, though. Keep in mind this fundamental principle. As soon as men were seen to be shaped by societal forces, as opposed to being shaped by metaphysical forces, the role of government skyrocketed. Because now men and women weren't good or bad. 
based on objective norms of good and evil, which are things you can't necessarily do anything about. Instead, they became seen as men and women who are good or bad based on societal forces. And so society can be remade, refashioned, repurposed, whatever you want to call it. You get more good people, and society will be better. That gave a huge role to the government to fill. That's what Woodrow Wilson started doing in the 19-teens. That's when this whole the whole notion of progress came into being. Like progress because the government's going to put it into play by reshaping these societal forces. Let's shift back into Halloween. We're saying, no, 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 there's, there's metaphysical good and evil that people tie into, that shape people, that form people. And government, you can't change the metaphysics. That's beyond space and time. There's nothing you can do about that stuff. You can punish the men for being bad. We can celebrate the women for being good. Or men for being good and women for being bad, whatever. <laughs> you can do that. You can react to the metaphysical forces, but the metaphysical forces are beyond you. So you need to have some humility in light of those metaphysical forces. And the government, starting with Woodrow Wilson, basically said, No. It's all societal forces. And because they're just societal forces, not metaphysical forces, we can reshape those societal forces. And now government has a huge freaking role to play in people's everyday lives. And that's that's a fundamental truth, by the way. And that's, that's not mine. That That is a truth recognized by many thinkers that when that fundamental shift occurred, government took a huge step forward. And logically speaking, maybe it should. I can have libertarian arguments why it shouldn't. That's what happened. But anyway, so Halloween, when it's celebrating the dark metaphysical side of things, is a celebration of metaphysics, which, when thought through, is a condemnation of excessive government. Now, I would say I'm not a big fan of kids wearing like the slasher movie masks, the, the bad characters who are not steeped in metaphysical evil. I like the celebration of Dracula and such ghosts, things like that. I'm not as big a fan of kids wearing those scary outfits who are merely celebrating people who might be you know, bad results of a bad social construct. I'm not a big fan of those type of characters on Halloween. Although I might like them more than seeing people come dressed up as princesses and good people. And again, I'm not getting down on my Catholic companions who dress their kids up as saints. That's fine, too. But that kind of, you know, <laughs> my whole reason to celebrate Halloween by dressing your kids up as something good, you're kind of watering down why I think Halloween is so great. So I'm not I'm not a big fan of people doing that. And again, if you want to do that, you want your kids to participate in Halloween, but you're not comfortable comfortable with them looking like the devil or dressing up as a as like a mean ghost or something, okay, well... That, that's fine. Again, to each their own. I'm not even going to condemn people who don't hand out candy. I'm sure as hell I'm not going to condemn someone for dressing their kid up as St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> but, I'm not sure people have thought it through. If you're, if you're trying to take away the dark side of Halloween, I'm, I'm not sure you're, you're really appreciating that by highlighting the darkness, you're actually bringing the lightness. By highlighting metaphysical evil, you're highlighting metaphysical good. By highlighting all these things, you're highlighting a, a, an objective norm, objective truths. Hey, just a few more quick notes on Halloween and 
the whole horror genre that we've had a part of our culture now for hundreds of years. If you get a chance, check out E. Michael Jones' book, Monsters from the Ed. It, it's, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I had lunch with E. Michael Jones one time. Interesting guy. But in that book, he makes a compelling case that the horror genre, different types of horror movies or fiction, whatever it is, basically reflects what's going on beneath our surface. That's what he calls the book Monsters from the Id. It's coming, it's coming from our subconscious. And he goes through and it's again, it's fascinating. And he points out that Frankenstein was probably our like subconscious fear of electricity. Mary Shelley's book was capturing that, that fear that we had of the unknown. He makes a very compelling case that the whole Dracula genre, the whole vampire stories, that was driven by fear of syphilis. In a fun part of the book, he points out that there, the early slasher movies, I think, I think the first one's called Bloodlust or something. I don't know, he, he traces through this, the modern slasher movie from the late 60s all the way down through like, you know, Halloween, Friday the 13th and whatnot. But he points out that that was probably part of the condemnation of the early hookup culture. And he points out in all these movies, it's like, the good-looking girl getting laid is the one who's going to get slashed up. He even points out various critics who criticize the horror genre, saying they have a Puritan morality. Because it's always the people engaged in sex, in premarital sex, the teenagers in the backseat of the car, they're the ones getting slashed up and killed in these horror movies. So again, that, that's it's a, it's a great book. It's a fun book. Go check it out. But I like to think about it as, or what does that say about our culture's current obsession with zombies, which, by the way, I think is going on like 10 years, if not more. Zombies have been in the forefront for a long, long time now. We just seem to have a real fascination with them, and it's ongoing. And here's my theory. My theory, I think zombies reflect our middle class concerns that there is a growing underclass that's going to eat away our wealth, like eat away our brains. <laughs> This underclass, whether it's a white trash or immigrants from Central America, whatever it is, all these immigrants coming in, this growing underclass of white trash that just wants to feed off the wealth that the middle class produces. I think there, I think that's the fear of the zombies is these walking dead. I actually downloaded a podcast, uh, the symbolic world that was released last March. He talks about zombie and postmodernist culture, which is excellent, by the way. Uh, he doesn't talk just about zombies. He's talking about dog-headed men. He's talking about a ton of different stuff. He doesn't put that interpretation on zombies, although he does start going to that area at one point. But anyway, go check out that podcast, The Symbolic World. Check out E. Michael Jones, Monsters from the Id. Give us some thought why our culture is obsessed with having the world taken over by zombies, having the culture taken over by zombies. See, maybe, maybe I'm right about this. Do some lighting segments. Boy, I really wanted to do these on Friday afternoon. I was going to grab a bottle of gin and some tonic and come down here to the recording studio, also known as my study or my library or the corner of the basement where all my stuff is. <laughs> and I was going to crank it out, but yeah, things at the office just went the hell in the handbasket on me. I had to, I had to work all afternoon. I had these, the greatest plans and 
get a head start on the drinking. Probably just as well because we had some company over Friday night. Some of my kids' friends and uh, had a little bit too much to drink anyway. So I can't imagine what would have happened if I had started at, say, 4 o'clock. That Monsters from the Ed book by E. Michael Jones. It's just filled with all sorts of interesting facts and anecdotes. <laughs> and again, as, as, a, as I mentioned previously, he's, he's a fairly eccentric guy, but he, he is interesting and really well read. But he, he one time points out in this Monster of the Ed, he said uh, that Dracula is the antithesis of Christianity. Quote, Christ shed his blood so his followers could have eternal life. Dracula sheds his followers' blood so he could have eternal life. Unquote. That's pretty, pretty clever. Hey, if you didn't check it out, go check out that Joe Rogan interview with Edward Snowden. I have not followed the Edward Snowden thing that closely. I mean, I think anyone who listens to podcasts and stays somewhat engaged with, you know, with the news knows something about Edward Snowden. I didn't realize he's like, you know, free enough to do an interview, but he was over there in Russia and he did it by phone. Sound quality is excellent. This thing goes on for three hours. Also bizarre is Rogan doesn't say hardly a thing. Yeah, I had one of my friends said, he goes, I don't listen to Rogan much. Is that common? And I said, no. I said, one of my friends said he can't stand to listen to Rogan because Rogan won't shut the heck up. He doesn't let his guests speak. And this, I mean, this interview went on, honestly, for a full three hours. Now, like, the last three minutes were advertisements, and, like, the first six minutes of every Rogan podcast are advertisements. So maybe it's only two hours and 15 minutes. But no exaggeration. Now, that two hours and 15 minutes, I think Rogan spoke fewer than 10 minutes total. And if you told me it was fewer than five minutes total, I'd believe you. It was just one long, rounding narrative by Edward Snowden. Definitely worth listening to. Very interesting. I just wish I could get the other side of the story. I mean, I know I get the other side of the story from the mainstream press all the time. I, I get that, but I wish I could have someone, like, point by point things he says come forward with countervailing stories or evidence or whatever. It's just really hard to get a fix on anything. And quite frankly, as, as anything ever. <laughs> I mean, you never know what to believe anymore. And when you start seeing stories like this Edward Snowden story, and you hear what he's talking about, and he says, you know, go Google it. He says, you can pull it right up. I didn't take him up on any of it. Uh, maybe I will, but he'd say, it's in the Washington Post, it's the New York Times, and you got piece of, piece of stuff together, and you'll see he's telling the truth. And Yeah, I'd love to hear some of these countervailing facts, because I'm listening to Snowden, and I'm just like, boy, this guy does not sound like a nut. He doesn't sound like a bad guy. Yeah, I understand. He apparently published names of American operatives overseas that put them in danger, which is completely unforgivable. If he did that, that's shame on him. Rogan, to his discredit, didn't call him out on that and say something like, Did you publish names of our spies or operatives in other countries, thereby putting their lives at risk? Because that would be an awful, awful thing. You know, it always has me thinking, you know, libertarians like me, we have a you know, real hard time when it comes to supporting our troops. It's one of those no-brainers. It's like, well, of course I support our troops. Uh, and of course I want them to come home safe. But then at the same time, you don't want them over there. You want them brought home. 
you know, in one sense, you could say, well, I support our troops more than you do. You want them over there. <laughs> you know, put in harm's way. I don't want them in harm's way. I want those young men and women brought back to the United States so they can be safe, maybe patrol on our borders, or maybe just go back into this, the civilian workforce. So you could say, in that sense, I support them even more than, you know, the warmongers who want them over there putting their, their necks on the line. But they are over there, and they are fighting, and for causes I don't necessarily believe in. You know, I, I don't, I'm afraid to say, I don't believe they're protecting our freedoms at this point. We're just policing the rest of the world, and I just think causing a hell of a lot more problems than, than we're solving. And probably a lot, we're a lot better off just kind of policing ourselves and protecting our borders. If Tulsi Gabbard wins and she goes against Trump, then you would have two people who are really questioning the war machine, finally. From the 1960s to the 1990s, it's always like the Republicans were part of the war machine and you had a solid, stable Democrats questioning it. And then with, with the Clintons, that like completely reversed. And you had like libertarians like Ron Paul on the right questioning the war machine and no one on the left questioned the war machine anymore. Unless it's like the Ralph Nader types. You know, they're intellectually honest. I'm not sure I agree with them very often. <laughs> but... But yeah, that is kind of like the fringe left who are against the war machine. But there's nothing in the mainstream Democrat Party that opposes the war machine. And I think that's why Tulsi Gabbard's getting so much blowback right now because she's seen it firsthand and she ain't having it. I'm definitely intrigued by Tulsi Gabbard. Edward Snowden podcast got me thinking. You know, well, how do I know anything I read is truth? Now, this kind of disorientating. And there's also those two other podcasts that say the same thing about the having to scratch my head saying, what the frick is going on in this country? <laughs> when do we know what's true? Or how do we know what's true? And have we ever known, you know, from 100 years ago, have we ever been told the truth? Because we know now that, you know, Hearst and other newspaper magnets, they, they lied all the time to, for propaganda, whatever. And it's like, gosh, we live in like in freaking Tsarist Russia. <laughs> Excuse me, Tsarist Russia, maybe, yeah. But maybe the Soviet Union. Pravda would just fabricate all sorts of stories. It's just it's not quite the same thing, but boy, you gotta wonder just when you get these upper echelons of power, whether it's the press or the colleges, university or big businesses or government, when you get this upper echelon, the 2% or whatever, how much truth are they telling? But anyway, two other podcasts also get you thinking about how do you ever know anything would be uh, the Tom Woods Show, episode 1031 where Lynn Albrecht is on talking about her son, Ross Albrecht, and the Silk Road. That thing is freaking fascinating. I definitely encourage you to go out and listen to that. Go listen to the Unregistered Podcast number 84, talking about Jerry Sandusky. <laughs> now with me, when that Jerry Sandusky story hit and it came down, I was livid when Penn State was like back in competitive again like in three years. I mean... That, to me, was the classic situation where a football program should have been completely dismantled, saying, basically, you had a bunch of boys raped by this monster, and it went on for years, and you never squelched it because you're trying to protect your football program. And to me, it's almost like a no-brainer. You just dismantle the football program. Be done with it. I mean, it's objectively evil what you did, and... You're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the ultimate price when you kill you. Instead, they're back at it. But then, listen to that podcast. Again, episode 84. I can't remember the guy's name. 
crap. It doesn't matter. But listen, unregistered number 84. This reporter goes through and is like, I don't think Jerry Sandusky did it. And he's pretty freaking convincing. <laughs> so I was like, well, all right, maybe good for Penn State. They got back on top quickly. <laughs> Just, so I flip-flop my positions, but two totally different sets of facts. Again, it's very disorientating. And then the third podcast is the Edward Snowden one. 1368 with the Joe Rogan experience. Go check him out. Listen to him back to back to back maybe and just wonder if you ever feel like you have a good grasp of truth ever again. <laughs> Talked a couple weeks ago about the one thing file where you, you listen to a podcast or read an article or read a book. You know, write down a note card with one thing you take away from that podcast or book or whatever. One thing I took away from that Snowden interview, he said, the government is not doing alien cover-up. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry to tell you this, Joe. He goes, there are no aliens out there. And then he backed off. He goes, well, what I should say is the government's not covering up the aliens. Or if they are covering up, they are doing one heck of a freaking good job of covering up. He goes, because I was, you know, very high placed in intelligence. I would have had access to information. And there's nothing out there about alien life coming to Earth or that we're trying to shelter alien life or cover it up. I think, I think Rogan is pretty, pretty disappointed to hear that. Hey, if you haven't heard, Kanye West is a Christian. He's coming out with an album called Jesus is King. And he has, thank goodness, condemned pornography. I maintain, and have maintained for about 20 years, that pornography is the greatest scourge in America. I think it's the biggest scourge in marijuana, and I said that back 20 years ago when I was against marijuana's legalization. I'm pretty much for it now, but back then I was against marijuana's legalization. I was like, well... If I was king and I could only outlaw one of these, marijuana or porn, definitely would have outlawed porn. I don't think it can really be denied that, socially speaking, much less spiritually speaking and intellectually speaking, pornography is awful. Awful for the individual, awful for those around them, awful for society. So hats off to Kanye, age 42. He's coming out saying this this stuff's got to end. He's already being painted as a freak by the left and... He's kind of a freaky guy, <laughs> but hats off. Maybe you know, maybe he's an ally now. Who knows? And his wife's pretty hot, <laughs> so hats off to Kanye. Podcast recommendation: The Worthy House. It's a very unusual podcast. This guy named Charles. Uh, he basically writes papers. Like you read a book, and he write like a long paper. I don't know, two, three thousand words. And then he appears to read it as his podcast. Really dry, but packed full of information, packed full of analysis. I've listened to like three of his podcasts now. They're real solid. They're each like 20, 25 minutes. I, I found out like during the third podcast that he is actually Roman Catholic, but he's leaving the church and becoming Greek Orthodox. So I yeah, I don't like the fact he's leaving the Catholic Church, but he's going Greek Orthodox, so I'm just like, hmm. Okay, that that a lot a lot of that could just be the confusion being wrought by Pope Francis. He's just, this guy's just had enough of it and taken off. So check out the Worthy House; is definitely worthy. All right, one final note about Halloween and horror and all that stuff before we wrap up. If you want to check out a great article about werewolves and shape shifting. Go check out a 1999 article written by Eric Chesky. <laughs> it's called Dark Shadows of Turning. 
been touched on. It's actually the first article I ever sold. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear to be available free anymore. It's only available to subscribers of Touchstone. Which, by the way, if you like this podcast, you seriously ought to consider Touchstone Magazine. It's it's excellent. They touch on a lot of di- different truths. It's, it's an ecumenical magazine. Um, unabashedly Christian, by the way, but it's Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Evangelical Protestant. All voices in the, in the Christian world are welcome to it, and I definitely recommend Touchstone. But anyway, in the article, Dark Shadows Attorney, I make the argument that shape-shifting is equated with evil because God is changeless. This almost goes like to a Parmenides-type truth that being never changes. The act of existence just is. And because God is changeless, things that change frequently are more removed from God than things that are less changeful. And therefore, through the horror culture, or the horror how genre of fiction, where shapeshifting always took evil forms, not always, but almost always, a shapeshifter is, is an evil person, that just reflects our metaphysical intuition that things that change constantly are further removed from God and therefore are more evil than things that don't change frequently. And therefore, those things that change most radically and most swiftly and most dangerously, those things are that much more evil. And that's why werewolves and such are always bad creatures. I'd like to send you a copy of the article, but I'm pretty sure Touchstone bought my copyrights to it, so I'm not going to be comfortable <laughs> releasing it to you. You'll just have to go to Touchstone and subscribe, get on their archives, and check it out. Alright, that's a wrap. Keep in mind, we got the weekly demon blog going over at udemonpodcast.com, or you can go back to my old blog site, thedailydemon.com. It's updated three, four, or five times a week. Check out the Twitter feed. Check out Facebook. All sorts of good stuff out there. As always, thanks for listening.